you imagine Peter walking on water and the water is like, you know, he's, he's deep, like it's sinking. Oh Lord, I'm sinking. No, God, help me. That's how he cried. Like he, he was in danger. That's what he said. We need to be desperate like Peter was on the water. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. The title of this sermon is Jehoshaphat's Prayer. And, and I want to take some time today to talk to you about prayer as an encouragement, exhortation, admonishment for us to be devoted to prayer, to understand the means by which we can fight our spiritual warfare. And what should be our proper attitude in prayer? What are some of the basic means of holiness the Lord gave us? Like if you can say, one is prayer, prayer. Another one, scripture. Oh, read your script, read the Bible, read the word of God. I chose this passage because of the nature of the situation Israel was faced with at that time. And I want to draw some similarities to um, the current situation of our time and of our church. But the Jason referenced this passage when he was teaching on fasting uh, back, I don't know how long ago. Um, sometimes we are faced with a dire situation and we need to seek the Lord with fasting and prayer. I'm just going to focus on the prayer aspect today, how we need to be diligent in it and also be desperate in prayer. And maybe a small, like a subtitle of my sermon can be, Are You Desperate in Prayer? There are some basic principles about prayer that we can draw from this chapter, so that's what I want to try to do today. We're going to draw those principles. It's things like you know already, but they are here for us, for our encouragement. When we gather on the weekday to pray, actually I share that on Wednesday. Some of you might hear that and it sounds familiar. Um, on Wednesday night, after a long day of work, I'm sure we have busy schedules isn't this one of the main reasons we gather for? We gather and confess our inability to do anything. We're powerless. We are ignorant of many aspects of life. And when we come to prayer, that's one of the things. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. We are going to see um, the context a little bit, uh, but there are uh, three points in this passage I want to draw out. The first one is the principles in Jehoshaphat's prayer. Uh, the second point is the enemies of our warfare. And the third one is the battle is not ours, but it's the Lord's. 
and then we can draw some applications for ourselves. Verse 1. After this. So this verse starts with after this. After what? So we're going to see the context of Jehoshaphat at this time, what was happening. Um, So when Jehoshaphat took over the throne after his father passed away, Asa, um, he prepared the nation uh, militarily against any attack, any aggression, um, and particularly against Israel. You know, at that time, the, YM, the, the, the kingdom was divided. We have the kingdom of the, of, in the south, Judah, and you have the kingdom in the north, Israel, right? So at that time, Judah was, a, was completely separated from Israel. So the previous king was, was waging war against Judah. But what he did, he prepared uh, his people like to be ready for war, but also... He made three strategic spiritual moves. The first one, he obeyed the Lord. The second one, he removed the false worship from the land. Actually, that was commanded by God in, back in Deuteronomy 12, uh, verse 2 to 4. You shall surely destroy, destroy all places where the nations whom you shall dispose Serve their God. So the nations, uh, the people who were living in the land of Canaan, they were worshiping under trees, under high places, under the mountains. And the Lord says, you need to destroy those things when you get into the land, when you take possession of it. Um, So he did that. And the third thing that he did, he sent out teachers who taught the people the law of the Lord. He told them, hey, go and teach the people what they need to do to serve and obey the Lord. So you can go back in Second uh, Chronicles um, the, chapter 17, and, and you can read all these. So beca- because he was prosperous, he made an alliance with the wicked king of Israel, King Ahab. This almost cost him his life. He went to a battle with Ahab against Syria in Ramoth Gilead, so that's on Israel territory. A city of refuge that was previously owned by Israel, but now um, the Syrian took, o- took over that city, and he wanted to take it back. And that is on the east side of the Jordan, so he wanted to get that back from the Syrians. And during the battle, Jehoshaphat almost died. They, was, they were chasing him on chariot, thinking he was Ahab. Ahab disguised himself. He wanted to, like, hide, be cunning. But when they were pursuing him, he cried, Lord, please save me. And the Lord did. The Lord saved him. The Lord spared his life. His alliance was for his son to marry Ahab's daughter, and if you continue reading in Chronicles, you're going to see what happened. The wrath came on the land, and um, um, this, this woman, she was wicked. She almost dis- destroyed all the descendants of David. Um, and uh, eventually, 
that sin caused them to be uh, deported into Babylon. But Jehoshaphat, he, he, during his reign, he brought a great spiritual order, even greater than um, the time of the kings before him, Solomon um, and um, Abijah and Azador, like the, those were the three kings before him. They were, the, the, the land fell into like idolatry, uh, and, but yeah, he came and restored um, worship. In chapter 19, you can see that he did a few things. He placed judges in the cities and give them, gave them principles to live by. He told them to be accountable to God, to have integrity and honesty, to be loyal to God, to seek righteousness, and to have courage to do the right thing. So he, he, he wanted God to be honored in the land. So that's the context we have here after this, after he did all these reforms and danger is at the door. So I want this to be in your mind. There was great spiritual order in the land of Judah in the early years of Jehoshaphat. And the Lord blessed him because he obeyed the Lord. And if you read in, back in Deuteronomy, the Lord said, that would happen. I will bless the land. And if you um, destroy those um, idols. I'm thinking back... Um, during a time in our church, um, there was not as much, as much struggle as we have today. I recall some years where you go to evangelism on Guadalupe Streets, Street. It was not only two guys on the afternoon. You would have moms and children. You have the older people in the church. Everybody was on fire for the Lord. I remember our prayer meetings. We didn't have two. We had one. Sometimes we would meet at Brother Casey's house. Like, people would drive an hour. These days, I know we are busy, but all these excuses that we, we don't want to gather for the church meetings, for prayers, for the prayer meetings. Brothers from San Antonio would come and mingle with us, and we go and preach the gospel and then we come back, we rejoice, and people would come, hey, I had this conversation, and give report to the church. That was a time of spiritual prosperity. But we had trials. The enemy is not sleeping. He's actively at work. If you go back to our text, he says, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Trouble was at the door of Judah. Three great armies were marching against Jerusalem. The Moabites, the Ammonites were the descendant of Lot, Abraham's nephew. And you know the story about Lot and his daughter and how these two kids came to be. But who are the Munites? If you read down in verse 10, 
He says this. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. Mount Seir. That's where Esau made his dwelling. So these people were from Edom. They were descended of Esau, the brother of Jacob. Jacob is Israel. Esau is his brother. And those are the descendants of Esau. If you want a ge- geographical the description, the land of Moab, the lands of Moab and Ammon are located um, on the east side of the River uh, Jordan. Right, you have the Dead Sea, and then on this side you have Ammon and Moab, and on the south of Jerusalem or Judah you have Edom, and um, they were all coming together and attacking. Judah. Verse 2. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are at Hazazan Tamar, that is Engedi. That's somewhere like close to Jerusalem, close to Judah. So they wanted to take Judah by surprise. They were already in the land, marching against Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat had no time to gather his army. He was understandably in fear. The Bible says he was in fear. Their defeat seems to be sure. Like, this horde is going to come and destroy me and my people and my kingdom. They were doomed. Verse 3 says this. Rightly so. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Sometimes we are faced with like dire situation and we are afraid. Because we don't know the future, right? We don't know um, what's going to happen. We don't know if the economy is going to crash. We don't know if um, we're going to... I don't know, we're going to get fired in our job. We don't know if we're going to get sick. And all the anxieties of this life can come and bring fear in our life. But yet, even in his fear, he did this. Jehoshaphat set his face to seek the Lord. Verse 3, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. And what he did, he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. One is, one, the first thing I want you to notice is that turning to God was not his last resort. That was the first thing he did. Sometimes, like when we, we face with a problem, we look for a friend, we, we have this phone call we have to make, and then oh, all the doors are shut. Lord, please help me. No, the first thing he did He set his face to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast. He proclaimed a national fast. He asked the people of Judah to gather with him, including women and children, to turn to God to ask him for help. And the king, as the representative of all the people, 
he led them into prayer. He didn't just like, hey, go pray, and then he was sitting on his throne. No, he was also part of it. Verse 4. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So we see this is the proper response, the most appropriate response to this great and dire situation they are faced with. The king and the nation appealed to God in prayer and fasting. He did not make the same mistake his father did. His father, Asa, when the king of Israel was coming to like, attack him, he took some of the gold and silver in the temple and made an alliance with the king of Syria. Where prior to that, the Lord saved him against um, Ethiopia. Ethiopia was coming with one million soldiers and um, 30,000 chariots. He only had 500,000 guys. He said, Lord, save me, and the Lord saved him. But after that, he forsake the Lord. He He made an alliance with the king of Syria. So before we get into the prayer of Jehoshaphat, which is from verse 5 to 13, or to 12, I want you to keep this in the back of your mind. Let this be our attitude. When we face with anything, the Lord should be our first recourse, the first thing we do. Go on your knees. He was diligent. My children, what is diligence? Parents, you can help them too. So the word diligence, um, I took this from the Webster Dictionary. dictionary um, it's the quality of being diligent. <laughs> or being careful. Or carefulness. Careful, pay careful attention to something and act upon that. It's the opposite of negligence. There's a second definition, interested and persevering application. You show interest in something, you persevere in that thing that you want to apply yourself to. It means devoted. It's a devoted and painstaking effort to accomplish what is to be undertaken. The task is before you, you are devoted to do and nothing's going to stop you to do it. There's this word, I, I know it in French, and I don't know if I'm saying it right in English. It's assiduity, which means a constant and a close attention to what you are doing. He paid attention to, I am in this situation. He has this earnest desire. He has this devotion to seek the Lord. We need to be diligent. We need to be earnest people. We need to pay attention to what's going on around us and bring it to the Lord in prayer. 
Usually in the New Testament, the word diligence is used or described as that devotion, that urgency, that earnestness, and that alertness that is so frequently urged upon us. For example, Paul didn't want us to become careless and mechanical in our prayers. He urged in Colossians 4 2 that we continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful and with thanksgiving. Being steadfast means being diligent, being earnest, being devoted. Romans 12, 11 and 12, do not be slothful in zeal. Some, some other translations say, be diligent in, in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. To be constant in prayer. Here, Jehoshaphat earnestly sought the Lord. He devoted himself and the people to seek the Lord in prayer. He acted in urgency. He was alert to the danger that was coming to him, or that is coming for him. And he he cried out to the Lord. I'm going to ask this question, and that question is for me also. Are you fervent in prayer? Are you, I would say, are we diligent in prayer? Steadfast in prayer. Earnestly seeking the Lord. Are we keeping alert? Do we think there is any urgency urgency for what this church is going through? Do we think there is any danger? Do you think Grace Church also might be no more? But if those questions, you ask yourself those already, what means do you go to to get the answer? Those armies, they were at the door. Same for us. The enemy is at the door. He wants to destroy you and me. What do we do? Let's look at the prayer now. Chapter 4. 20 verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, verse 6, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand, your, so to withstand you. I'm going to draw four principles in this prayer. Um, And the first one in verse 6 here is, first and foremost, we need to know who God is. When we pray, we need to know who God is. We say, yeah, I know who God is. God is holy, holy, holy. God is sovereign. But do we believe that? Oh, it's a truth that we're so acquainted with that it doesn't faze us anymore. The 
God rules over all the nations. Not just Israel, not just Judah, but all the nations, including the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Munites. So these nations, they were coming to Israel, but the Lord, he's their king, he's their God. He is in heaven. He is a sovereign king over all the earth. Isn't this the same principle we have in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you can say like the first principle of Jehoshaphat's prayer is the same principle we find in Jesus' prayer, in the Lord's prayer. Our God is in heaven. He rules over his creation. He rules over this nation. He rules over the churches. He rules over, he rules over this church. You might say, we don't know why the Lord has us go through this season. But know that every trial is for your good. And your mind should be um, on this truth we find in James. It is to produce steadfastness in us. The Lord is producing steadfastness in you and me. So first and foremost, in our prayers, we need to remember who God is. And he has his purpose. Everything works for the good of those who love the Lord. Everything works for your good, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult. He works for your good. Our Lord is in heaven. He is sovereign. And he also commands us to pray. The Lord could do whatever he wants to do. The Bible says our Lord is in heaven. He does how he pleases. But yet he used our prayers to do his will. So remember who God is. The second principle, verses 7 to 9. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and built you in it a sanctuary for your, name, for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. The second principle is this. Jehoshaphat, remember, or recalls the word of God. So many times I share that in, with the North Prayer meeting. When we pray, Brother Tofik has, has shared that so many times, you pray back the word of God to him. Because God, you promised this. Won't you do it? The Lord made a promise to Abraham. He made a covenant and sealed it with an oath. If you've been following in Hebrews, you would know that. The Lord sealed it with an oath. And he said the descendants of Abraham will possess 
this land, the land of Canaan? Would that promise be broken by the Ammonites or the Moabites or Munites? Certainly not. So, no one can break, can make God break his promise. But yet, we have, it's not because God forgets, but it's to show that we bank our life on his word, on his promises. We trust him, we trust him for what he said he would do. So we recall, we remember the word of God, and we pray it back to God. In verse 9, Jehoshaphat is quoting his great-great-great-grandfather, Solomon. So when the temple was being dedicated back in 1 Kings 8, Solomon prayed this prayer. And in, verse, in chapter 9, the Lord answered. And the Lord said to him in 1 Kings 9, verse 3, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name here forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. The Lord promised that he will put his name in Judah and, in, and the people can come. And whenever there is distress, whenever there is calamities, pestilence, they would come and pray to God and the Lord would answer so the Lord promised that he would answer them if they stay faithful. So Jehoshaphat remembers the word of God and the promises of God. And he presents that back to God. How many times do you pray the word of God back to him? God, you have promised this. Do it for your church. Do it for me. Do it for your people. You promise not to leave us or forsake us. You promise you will draw near us as we draw near you. You promise you will keep us from the evil one. Jesus prayed. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That's the promises we have. Our Lord Jesus Christ prayed for us. Do we pray that back to God? God, you said you will keep us from the evil one. Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do we pray, Lord, we want people to be saved? And you said that gates of hell will not stand against us. Jude 1 says, um, we are kept by Jesus Christ, or we are kept for Jesus Christ. When we feel like we want to throw in the towel, do we remember this promise? God, you promised that we will be kept. Jude 24 says, He is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before His presence of His glory with great joy. The presence of His glory with great joy. Hebrews 10, 39, but we are not of those who, are shrank back, who shrank back or are destroyed, but are of those who have faith and preserve their soul. 
the Lord will preserve you. The Lord promised that. If you, do you pray that? Lord, you promised you would preserve my soul. You will promise that I won't shrink back. Lord, you promised to keep us from the evil one. You promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against the process of building your church. You promised we are not of those who shrink back or being destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere and preserve their soul. You promised to make us a kingdom of priests to your God and Father. You said we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession, that we may proclaim your excellency. You call us out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not, mer- we have, we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. What then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but give him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The Lord says, with Jesus, he want to give us all things. Those are the promises we have in the word of God. And there's so many, like there's thousands of promises that you can go to. And we need to take that back to the Lord and pray to him. We call the word of God. Pray for this church. Pray for your families. Pray for your children. Pray for your family members. Pray pray for the lost ones. Pray for a pastor. Pray for a building. Pray for holy lives, holiness without which no one can see God. Third principle. Jehoshaphat made an appeal to the justice of the Lord. He made an appeal to the justice of the Lord. Verse 10. Verse 10. Uh, Right here. And now, behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. In this passage, Jehoshaphat is appealing to the justice of God. Almost like Genesis 18, when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham appealed to the justice of God. Would not the judge of the earth do what is right? Far be it from you. So Jehoshaphat is asking God to do what's right. These three nations were repaying Judah evil for good. If you read back in Deuteronomy 2 verse 8, the Lord told Israel during their exodus in the wilderness, as they were getting closer to enter the promised land, to the possession of it, do not attack the people of Moab, Ammon, or Edom, because they are your kinsmen. So they are basically your family. Don't destroy them. The Lord 
did not destroy them. But now they're coming back and they're coming to destroy Judah. They're coming to take, I don't know, maybe they were going to take over, um, maybe enslave them, destroy them. They were trying probably to undo the promises of God, so to speak. Men in their arrogance think they can thwart the plans of God, but I guarantee you they cannot. Sometimes they are ignorant, and it's a bad combination. You're ignorant and you're arrogant, and the Lord will dash you into pieces. Do you remember in uh, Pilgrim Progress, ignorance didn't make it to the celestial city, right? He did not. He was destroyed. But side note. So no one can thwart the plan of God, the plans of God. In Isaiah 40, verse 17, all the nations are likened to nothing, to less than nothing, and emptiness. So if this, these three nations, they come to overthrow Jehoshaphat, they're not really coming to wage war against him. They were coming to wage war against God. Because God was the one who gave them the land God told them, do not destroy the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Edomites. They came to dethrone Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, but really they were coming against the king of kings. They were coming against God. God is the one who showed them mercy back in Exodus. And yet God is the one who had set his name on the land of Judah he chose these people. He chose Israel. So really they were coming to battle against God. And Jehoshaphat he was saying, God, please, we are innocent in this, and they're coming not for us but for you. Would you do something? Would you not do what's right? Almost like Moses when God was ready to destroy the people of Israel, because of their sin. Moses said, don't do it. The Egyptians, they will hear it. And they will say, it's because the Lord was not able to take them to the promised land that he promised to give to their forefathers. So he appealed to the justice of God. That should be our prayer Every day. We want God to do what's right. We want the Lord to vindicate himself and in the process vindicate us. The name of the Lord was on this land and they were coming to attack the Lord. Not Jehoshaphat. The name of the Lord is on this church. But in, the, in our trial, I heard people said, Grace Church Australia is not a true church, or maybe we're playing church, or all kind of accusation. The attack is not against you. 
It's against the Lord. And you want the Lord to vindicate his name. We should not shrink back. Maybe the church might be dissolved. No. Lord, vindicate your name. Would you not do justice? But we don't take matters to our own hands. Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. So we take it to the Lord. Lord, vindicate your name, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Which leads me to the fourth principle. He made a petition to the Lord. He requested that the Lord the Lord acts on his behalf and he was waiting. So when we pray, we make requests, we wait on the Lord to fight the battle for us. Verse 12, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. Never in this prayer you see Jehoshaphat had the pretense to tell God what to do. He did not rely on his assessment of the situation to give advice to the Lord. Lord, I think you should do this because, no, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. He did not panic. He did not fall into despair. Although there was desperation in this prayer, he was desperate for God to do something, to act for him. He did not build his defenses. He did not rally any army. He did not rely on the arm of the flesh. In fact, he confessed his utter inability to do anything whatsoever. He acknowledged his weakness, his powerlessness. He acknowledged the weakness of Judah. He acknowledged his incapacity in the matter. He confessed his complete dependence on the Lord. He did exactly what the psalmist declared in Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. We need to commit our case to the Lord commit our way to the Lord, trust in him, he will act. So the four principles are, are in, this prayer, in this prayer are remember who God is. Remember the word of God, the promises of God. Number three, appeal to the justice of God. He will do the right, what is right. And make a petition that he would act for you and wait for his salvation. There are so many truths like we can draw from this, but I only chose these four. Um, John MacArthur summarized this prayer like this. Um, Jehoshaphat stood in the redecorated center court praying for the nation, appealing to the promises, to the glory, and to the reputation of God, which were at stake since God was identified with Judah. In his prayer, he acknowledged God's sovereignty, God's covenant, God's presence, 
God's goodness, God's possession, and their other utter dependence on him. You can take one, each one of these and draw truth for yourself. So these, these principles, they should, um, um, they sum up two things for us to remember. If you forget everything, all four points or all, remember this. We need to be diligent. We need to be desperate for God. Being diligent in humbling ourselves. Remember to humble yourself. The king did not consider how the king, I don't have to like put sackcloth and ashes over my head. No, he humbled himself. But also there is desperation in his prayer. If you're not desperate, you're not going to pray prayers that matters. You imagine Peter walking on water, and the water is like, you know, he's, he's deep, like, it's sinking. Oh, Lord, I'm sinking. No, God, help me. That's how he cried. Like, he, he was in danger. That's what he said. We need to be desperate, like Peter was on the water. Quickly, the two other points, I know I went out of time. Um, the second point is the enemy of our warfare. So like Jehoshaphat was faced with three great ar- uh, enemies or great ar- armies, Ammon, Moab, and Edom, we are faced with three great enemies of our soul. And you know them already. The flesh, the world, and the devil. Like those three armies who are aiming at the destruction of Judah, these three enemies of our soul, they're seeking the destruction of our soul. First, the flesh. Even though you are in Christ, because we are still in this flesh, because you are not redeemed or you're not glorified to the yeah, you're not redeemed 100%. You're waiting, you're expecting that um, when your body will be transformed and you're going to be like Christ, the Bible says. Because we are still in this flesh, we are often tempted with so many things. We are tempted with pride. We are tempted with lust. We are tempted with, you name it, Pride can be sneaking in our life and we don't even, like, we're not even aware of that. You might, you might, hear, me, me, you might hear me mention all these things like appeal to the justice of God and ask him to vindicate his name in your life and you might turn to your brother or sister. The Lord should do justice and we don't take it for ourselves. It's always easy to say, yes, this person, they need justice. But when the finger is pointed at us, oh, give me mercy. I can be proud, pride. 
All this is why? Because the flesh, the flesh wants pride to be rooted in your heart. We can be not only tempted with pride, but gossip, slander. We lash out in anger. Mean speeches, foul language, covetousness, lust, adultery, immorality, greed, strife, quarrel, rowdy children, unsubmissive wives, unloving husband, harsh talk. The list can go on and on and on. You might hear the sermon, you go home and you try to like, okay, I want to live by the word of God. And your kids start, start, your kids start acting up or your, sp- your spouse act in a certain way and poof, everything goes out of the window. You need to be on guard. You need to humble yourself and be diligent and be desperate for God. Maybe you might open, uh, turn on, not open, open the TV. Turn on the TV and watch your show, I don't know, watch a series or watch something to calm your mood. Or, but you're lying on the arm of the flesh. Jehoshaphat, the first thing he did, he ran to the Lord. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our face set on you. Eyes are on you. That's the flesh. Not only we have the flesh, but also we have the world. I talk about TV, all this distraction. There is another show. People, they become creative these days. Like, I'm like, wow. The, the mind of man like, can um, come up with the most craziest thing. You have TikTok, you have Instagram, you have social media all over the place. You have distractions, entertainment, all the comfort that this world offer, all the winds of philosophy blowing these days, social movement, critical theory, gender ideas, all the cares of the world, they can not only choke the word, but they can choke your time for prayer. Even when you go down on your knees to pray, your mind just wanders. Think about this thing at work. You think about so many things to think of. The world is distracting you. And the third enemy, the devil, he's the enemy of our soul. He wants to have dominion over you and drag you down to hell with him. He knows he's a defeated foe. He's always accusing the, bre- the brothers and sisters, the brethren. He is the God of this world. He wants to blind you. This world is blinded by Satan, and they cannot see Christ for who he is. Satan makes us think of so little about our sin. Yeah, I just lose my temper with my wife. That's okay. Sorry, babe. I just raise my voice on my kids. But when, when, I, when they see this vein about to pop up, they think I'm serious. 
It's a little thing. Yeah, we can keep these little sins, and and next thing you know, it's we're far gone. It's too late. We excuse our fault. We think it's not harmful. That's his ta- tactic, but we need to be diligent. And we need to be desperate for God. God, come and help. Our eyes are on you. Which drives me to my last point. I know we already spent an hour. The battle is the Lord's. If we read in the chapter here, verse 13, Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the son of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And we know what happened. The Lord gave them a victory. They didn't have to lift one fork on one knife, on one toothpick. They kill each other. The enemy, I mean, not Judah. The battle is the Lord. We need to fix our eyes on the Lord. Christian, fix your eyes on Jesus. Zechariah, call him. Um, Zechariah 9, 9. That's a prophecy when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem um, on the donkey. Rejoice, O daughters of Zion. Shout loud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Easy. The New King James, the King James Version says, victorious is coming. So the king is victorious. The battle is the Lord. The victory is his already. Satan is a defeated foe. He's just like making fuss. Yes, he's powerful, but the one who was the Lord's, they are protected. We are more than conqueror in Christ. Hopefully that can help you to be more earnest, to be diligent in prayer, and to be desperate for the Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you for this word. Pray, Lord, that we would get encouraged by it. We pray, Lord, that we would be fervent in prayer, be diligent in prayer. 
be desperate for you. Our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on Jesus Christ. He's going before us. The victory is his. He brings salvation with him. In him we are more than conquered. We trust in him. We humble ourselves. Trust him. Amen.